quick show of hands. How many people know we have a uh, core values on the website for Lighthop? Um, if you're anything like me, a couple months ago, you probably haven't looked at them for a long time um, or have just sort of swept past them looking for other information on the front page as far as schedule and stuff like that. But um, I want to encourage you to actually go back, look over them, and pray into them. Um, I really feel like the Lord highlighted a couple months ago, um, I think I've mentioned up here before, you know, like we're, we're into our seventh year now. There's sort of a, a Sabbath year, if you count our years uh, here specifically as light hop. And uh, the Lord really highlighted the core values and said, like, look at these. Talk to me about them. And uh, the leadership team, elders, what do we call ourselves? Anyway, uh, spent some time specifically praying into them and really talking to the Lord about, like, is this what you're still saying for Lighthop? And I think this is, we're at a time right now to really dig into six years later, what did he say at the beginning of this place? Because he's the one who builds it. He's the one who sets its dimensions. Um, and what is he saying now? And what did we, six years um, younger, and with six years less revelation, because he's been pouring out revelation in this place for six years now. Um, what did we hear from him? And about what this place was to be. And what is he saying now? Oh, maybe there's something that you didn't, didn't hear from me exactly. Are there things he wants to correct? And um, into, if he set that vision six years ago, where has he taken us in that vision in six years? Where do we still have to go yet? And these are all conversations we all can be having with him to go, all right, you know, we're, we're this far down the road, a little bit farther down the road now, and you said, this is where you're going. Where do you want to go? You know, in the, as he led the Israelites, they had a cloud and a pillar, and it would stop, and they'd put camp, they'd set camp, hang out in that area for a while, it'd get up, and they'd move when it moved, and they'd see it moving, um, and so he would guide as they went, right, and eventually leading the next generation into the promised land by that. So um, just I feel the moment full of opportunity to just go, Lord, where are you going, and where have you taken us? Um, the thing, The core values are... I believe, vision. Um, so it's easy to get on them and go, and start going, like, do we really do this? Does this even make sense for, like, last week in the prayer room? Um, but it's good to look at them as, this is what the Lord is saying he wants to do. And just like we are, um, there's a gap, right? There's a gap between where we are and where, where the Lord's taking us, where the, individually what he's making us into, the glory, glorified selves that we have hope in becoming um, at his appearing. He is sanctifying us toward those selves. But there's a gap. And sometimes, a lot of times actually, we see it and it's painful. And hallelujah, the blood covers that distance. 
between where we are personally and who we are to become. Um, but it's good to talk to him about where that gap is and uh, let him do that assessment and let him pour in hope that, you know, David, me today is not the end um, of the process, which is all to say the same thing is true of us as Lighthop. You know, we are very different than we were six years ago. And hallelujah, he is doing beautiful, wonderful things. And he's going to continue doing beautiful, wonderful things. Um, so to that end, uh, I just want to highlight the Lord has led us to change two of the core values. Um, so I'm just going to, they're on the website now. So if you go to it, you'll see them. Um, and I'm just going to throw them out there. I, I can't preach into all, to both of them and what the Lord gave me to say today. So um, I'm going to give you my capsule understanding of why the Lord changed them. And, uh, and then you can pray into them. You can ask me questions, ask the Morsemans, the Stoltzes, the Glens questions. You can, you know, share what the Lord's saying to you. Okay. Um, so we had one that was to hold unswervingly to the word of God, the Bible, as our guiding principles. And uh, I'll just say real quick, too, we also have a statement of faith on the website, um, which is worth going and checking out, too. Namely, for the sake of um, Understanding, like, we've explicitly spelled out, like, this is what we believe as Lighthop. And, you know, there's no membership requirements. You don't have to sign the thing saying, I agree with every single point, or I'd word it even exactly that way. But that has, is what the Lord has established as um, Lighthop's shared statement of faith and Lighthop's shared values. So it's good to know. Even if you're like, there's that one thing that I disagree with, but the Lord has put me here. That's cool, too. Or three things, or you know. Um, okay, having said all that, I'm interrupting myself. To hold unswervingly to the word of God, the Bible is our guiding principles, and we've changed it to live prophetically by listening to the voice of the Lord and in faith obeying, holding unswervingly to the written word of God, the Bible, as the preeminent standard. All other words from the Lord are evaluated by. Um, I very much believe that the Lord right now specifically is um, wanting to take us farther into being a prophetic people, wanting to ground us in listening to his voice instead of, and I, I think I've even preached into this some, but um, instead of reasoning together and sort of constructing arguments and trying to figure out which argument works best and seems like the right one, um, rather than going by our feelings, is really listening to him and learning to do that and being able to say, this is what the Lord is saying. It doesn't make sense to me, but it, um, when we test it against scripture, it tests, it is true. And so uh, the change there is really, um, I don't believe that the Bible is primarily a set of principles. I think there's a lot of death in treating the Bible as 
um, primarily a set of principles. You can get into really um, empty religion that way because we can sit there and throw proverbs at each other all day um, in defense of whatever it is that really our flesh wants. Um, it is primarily the touch point of the word of the Lord for us of, upon which everything else is built. So every word that we get um, that this speaks to us, we test it back against Scripture. It is the testimony of the church and God's um, relationship with people, of those who have gone before, and his inspired word. So it is what he has breathed to be his testimony that we can then go forward off of. So um, I hope that all makes sense. Ask me <laughs> more. Um, if it doesn't. Okay, so and the other one that has been changed is formerly to build 24-hour prayer in our region, promoting unity among all believers in the body of Christ. And we've, uh, the Lord's altered it to agree with Jesus' desire to build 24-hour prayer in our region. And this is for a couple of reasons. Um, one is it really clarifies where we are in the load of building the house of prayer. It's really Jesus doing it, and we want to agree and partner with it. We're not the ones who are like, we're going to build a house of prayer for you. Um, and it also doesn't put unity. It kind of looks like in the first one that unity is the primary purpose. We're going to build a house of prayer so everybody will get together and be like, woohoo, one church. Um, so just to get rid of that, some of that confusing language and go really at the core of this place is we have a vision and a desire to be part of the Lord building a 24-hour house of prayer here. So, two changes, which are not my primary message today. But in case you were so much more diligent than me and you review those values regularly and are like, wait a minute, they changed! I needed to share that today. Like, why? So that... It's not like, oh, there's stealth changes happening on the values page. Uh, okay, so I'm actually going to talk about, I feel the Lord talking about, and wow, um, all of the stuff in worship that touches all of this. Um, I am actually going to speak about one of the other core values that has not changed, and uh, and you're going to hear more of this in the coming months because in this process of the Lord saying, uh, what he actually said to me was, Light Hop needs to remember who she is. And I felt the distinguishing in that um, although we are part of Light Hop, this is not about us remembering who we are in him. Um, He's placed us here together as LightHop. And so if we can speak of LightHop as something made up of us, but not us, um, she needs to remember she, who she is. And that was part of going back to the core values and going, who did you say when you said, I keep personifying LightHop, but uh, who did you say when you formed her? Who did she, you say, this is who I'm making you to be? Um, so to that end, uh, in the next few months or so, at least, um, 
you're going to be hearing about core values and just what the Lord's talking about, about them. Um, and a reminder of, of this is our sort of expectation in coming together. So to ready the body of believers in this region as servant leaders who are equipped and trained in the priesthood of all believers is another one of our core values. That term, if you go to 1 Peter 2, the priesthood of all believers um, kind of has its most explicit mention in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 2.5, he writes, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, he actually, when he, the start of 1 Peter, who he's addressing, he says the strangers out dispersed. Um, there's a little bit of maybe Jews, maybe Gentiles in the church, but it's the church that has been scattered. Um, living out among, and he's saying, you're building, being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And he's addressing the entire church scattered out, um, not, you know, some bishops or shepherds, or it's the church. And then a little farther down in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So this is the, what we call the church, the gathering of believers. All of those who have obtained, obtained mercy through the blood of Jesus, being sanctified and being raised up into a nation of priests. So, that's all of us, right? Every single one of us is being called up. In the old um, covenant in Israel, you had Levites and you had priests and they were a very specific class of people. And, uh, Everybody else was on the other side of the line, had different responsibilities before the Lord. Um, but we, under the new covenant, everybody who comes in under the blood of Jesus, the goal is that we are raised up into a priesthood with him, for him, and with him, um, as he's our high priest leading us. So what is it that, within those verses, he says that we're doing um, we are being raised up into a priesthood to offer praise and to bear the reproach of the sifting and the witness. So um, we have something to do as priests. It is not a class of people that are set aside and just given a name of priests. It's actually a vocation 
that we're being called into of offering praises and bearing his reproach outside the camp, of going out with him who is our high priest um, and taking on all of the suffering that he took on in going out. Jesus. In First Chronicles 25, since we talk a lot about the tabernacle and the vision is um, that specifically here, the Lord is rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Read a bunch of names. First Chronicles 25. Moreover, David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Haman and Jedithan, who should prophesy with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals, and the number of the workmen, according to their service, was of the sons of Asaph. So I'm going to... These guys had sons. They were appointed. Um... Skipping down, so the number of them with the brethren that were instructed in the songs of the Lord, even all that were cunning, was 204 score and eight, and they cast lots, ward against ward, as well as small as the great, the teacher as the scholar, to set up their assignments, right? Um, the reason I go here is because there, are, there was a given assignment to all of the people to, um, that were set up to do David's tabernacle. And the assignment was not just, hey, you can play an instrument, you know, cool, you can play an instrument during your set. It's also, you need to prophesy. Um, which I think is something, something so good to pray into. Because we think of prophecy as such a, sort of the spirit comes on a person and they prophesy kind of thing. And getting our heads around being commanded to prophesy, to be like, here is your prophetic moment, fill it with prophecy, go. Um, to be able to talk to the Lord about how that makes me go <gasps> inside is the path to get to the point where we can actually come into the tabernacle and do what he said, okay, now this is your window, go, prophesy. Um, which is all to say that there is an expression of faith. Um, faith is expressed out through the things that we do. And the tabernacle of David, the house of prayer, is filled with activity even though it's founded on faith and the spirit of the Lord, he expresses out through us in song, in prophecy, in speaking, in conversations where we build each other up, in moving our bodies around the room, in the way we interact with each other. Let's go to Second uh, Kings thirteen fourteen. This is a concept the church has been struggling with for two thousand years. Is where faith 
meets action. And um, we are saved by faith, not through any good work or deed. But faith does manifest, or there's no faith. 2 Kings 13, 14. Poor Elisha. <laughs> not so much poor Elisha. He had a, a much better time than Elijah did, but for, for most of his life. But uh, at this point, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness wherever he died. He's like, he is on his deathbed, literally. But he's got a little bit more prophecy to still do. Like, I guess it's not poor Elisha. It's how, how awesome that out of the last moments of his life, he is dying of an illness. He gets to express the Lord um, to Israel one more time. And Yoash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took it unto him, bows and arrows, and he, a bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek until you have consumed them. He said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite on the ground. And he smote three times and stayed. Somehow I got old King James in here. <laughs> um, and the man of God was wroth with him and said, you should have smitten five or six times. Then you would have smitten Syria till you'd consumed it. Whereas now you'll smite Syria but three times. And Elisha died and they buried him. <laughs> and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land of the coming in the, at the coming in of the year. So I just bring this out um, because I think it's just a beautiful moment of faith and the expression of, or lack of the expression of. Um, you know, was, was God really worried about, like, physical contact of arrows with ground? He was worried. He wasn't worried. It was a reflection of what was in the heart of the king, where his faith was in what the Lord said to do through the prophet. Um, it wasn't because, you know, like arrows did phys didn't physically co contact ground enough that the victory was not complete. It was because the king was doubtful. Which is just to say, um, again, that faith manifests itself. In all of the places where Jesus says to somebody, your faith is great, or your faith healed you, or that person did something physically before he said that. I, I don't know of an instance in the Bible where there was somebody sitting off to the side going, yep, I got faith. And then Jesus was like, you have so much faith, something has happened for you. Or I see your faith so much that you're saved. It comes out. Now, I 
think part of what we've gotten our tangle in the church is that we forget who's talking to who at times. So we read James, and he's like, you know, that's great, you've got faith, but show me your works, or else your faith is dead, and we're like, oh, works. And then we read Paul, and he's like, the works are nothing. Faith is what saves me. We read Luther saying, you know, it's faith, faith alone. And we forget that Paul's talking to a bunch of people who are like, circumcision's what does it. And we forget that James is talking to a bunch of people who are like, I'm good, I've got faith, I don't need to do anything. And we forget that Luther's talking to a church that's like, hey, if you pay a little money, you're absolved of your sin, and, you know, count these beads a couple times, and, you know, do this, and then you'll be... And so he's going, no, it's by faith, it's not by all those things. And we forget or we lack the context for why people say these things. And so then we spend hundreds of years arguing back and forth of like, well, it's not works, but it's faith. But, well, you've got to have the works. And back and forth when the scripture's really clear that there's not any faith unless it gets expressed. You can tell there's no faith. But that it's the faith that leads us into the covering of the blood of Jesus and saves us. So... Um, let's go to Revelation 2. So we, um, I think mostly here, are largely out of a Protestant tradition. So we tend to, when people start getting wrestling back and forth on faith versus works, we tend to, like, we're going to kind of stand over in the faith camp because... You know, this, this is the tradition we were we raised up in, and we know this is important. Um, and it is. But it's easy to get camped in that and start going, I distrust every action that I do as somehow hypocritical, as somehow me relying on works. You can see it in the Protestant church when you talk about fasting, and a lot of the Protestant church fasting immediately is like a <gasps> works kind of thing, whereas fasting is an expression of faith, ideally. You know, it can be. Um, and we talk about, you know, that Jesus specifically says, when I'm gone, those who believe in me, they're, they're going to fast. Um, so Revelation 2. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he. Ah, I'm still dropping it. I'm just going to read it. Um, I don't know why that is. Okay, anyway. It's funny, especially with this message, that we're going to get old King James on things. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars. It's, it's easier to read it than to try to translate it on the fly. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found, not, hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Has he gotten to the bad part yet? The things that they're not doing well. No, this is all good. This is all, yeah, I know. I know you've done, you've labored, you know, in the work. This is good. I'm, I'm starting with the, here's, 
here's what you've done well. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. All of that stuff was the good job. Because you've left your first love, remember therefore from whence you're fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. I can see you've been working hard for the kingdom. You've been working hard for the gospel. You've been standing true against falseness. But your love's running out. Therefore, do the works of love. He's not setting up a here like, okay, you've done a lot of stuff. Now you just got to just, just do the love thing. Just sit, get some love inside, right? He's calling them back to authentic works born out of faith and love. You need to get the faith and love, and it will be expressed in works. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. Galatians 5, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So even in the middle, here in Galatians, Paul is correcting those who would go to the works of the law. And he says, it's faith, but faith working through love. It's faith that actually expresses itself in love. So even in the middle, in the middle of saying, you're relying on, on, on the statutes and expectations of tradition for your salvation. Salvation is faith. He still says faith that then expresses itself. So why, why am I <laughs> talking about all of this with the priesthood? Um, it's because our mode of church in the West and is very much like all of our culture, which is consumer, producer-consumer. There are services to avail ourselves of. And this is the trap, is to be come in to the house of the Lord, not as a priest, but as just one of the ones to be ministered to by the priests. It's possible to get really close, but not come in. Um, James, let's go to James 1. And this is actually, this is, it's, it's manifesting really big in the church right now. There, COVID gave a, lot of, gave a lot of people reason to check out of the church. And there are places in this country that have tri- 
traditionally been the strongholds of the Christian church. Like that is the region of the country where everybody goes to church, where if you don't go to church, you're not going to get elected to local office. You're probably not going to be very successful in business because it's just expected. In those places right now, people have completely checked out and the extent of connection to the body of Christ or even like any manifestation of faith is I might have Jesus on my bumper sticker, I might like somebody saying something about Jesus on Facebook, but I'm mostly staying home. That's the, 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 the falling away is coming from that fissure that was running right through at least the Western church of the people who were engaging with God for the people and the people who were letting them engage God for them. And that thing got blown open by COVID and other things. And that whole chunk of the church, to follow my metaphor, <laughs> is cracking off into the ocean. James 1, 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I am guilty of on Monday having to rack my brain to figure out what somebody said on Sunday. And it shouldn't be that way. This moment right now where I'm talking to you, I think, it's not right to say it's the, it's the, the least part of Lighthop, of the Lighthop's week, but it is sort of just a foundational part. The Lord does beautiful things orchestrating up to this point in the week where he pours out in prayer sets all week long stuff that's going to be preached. And it should, we should be taking what's preached here today and carrying it forward into the next week's worth. I mean, like what is said here should change. It should inform how I'm praying for Israel on Wednesday night. It should inform how we're praying for families um, Tuesday morning, it should inform. It sh but all on its own, some, one person talking up here, the rest of us all listening, if that was it, we'd be missing the entirety of what we're called to here. This hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is, that, that, that someone's talking is a wonderful way for the Lord to sort of unify us together with vision and with exhortation to, to steer the ship, but we need the rest of the ship. And that hour that we spent before this in joining together in worship and the half hour or so we have after this to take what was spoken and respond to it are so vital to actually taking and not having this experience of looking in the mirror, seeing ourselves going away and immediately forgetting. And then if we can carry that through another week 
as the Lord's preparing for the next Sunday and, um, and working the previous Sunday into us, we will be taking the truth, the revelation that he's sharing, and it will be growing and bearing fruit. But it is really easy. There is, there is so much preaching in the earth. Some of it very, very good and spirit-led that we can get access to right now just because of our technology and yeah, mostly the technology. Um, it in of itself is nothing unless it gets picked up and taken forward. Luke 11. This will always be the desire of the flesh is to get close enough to feel like I'm getting a little heat and light off that thing. But not come all the way in to where it burns. And it happened, uh, Luke eleven twenty seven. and it happened as Jesus spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That there's this, there is this thing of like, you know, this transfer of blessing. Like she, she was so excited about what he's saying that she's like, his mom, what a, what a blessed woman to have borne him. And he's like, but the things I'm saying, blessed are those who receive them and actually let them have their work. And this has been my experience. I am amazed at how there are people out there who have just enough faith that they will want you to pray for them. And they're just enough faith to think that it makes a difference enough that they want you to do it won't actually step into praying themselves and engaging with the Lord. Um, I was amazed to see that kind of, uh, I don't know even know if faith is the right word, uh, and just in doing like some street ministry and you come across people who have no intention of ever stepping inside a church, but they'll see you and they'll recognize, you're a holy person, and I know there's something available to me if you pray for me. Uh, Exodus 20. Exodus 20, 18. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we'll hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The goal here is that everybody who connects into this place moves into the place of being part 
of the prayer room, of ministering in it, of being a priest before the Lord in his tabernacle. When this place fills up with enough people that we are full of 24-7 prayer. I strong believe that would be the moment where another house of prayer needs to start. Because we, the purpose of this place is not to fill it with 24-hour house of, 24-7 house of prayer and then get to the point where it's like only the people on this list pray into the microphone because there are vetted people. And then we have this congregation of people who just come and sit. At that point, the Lord's gonna tell somebody, it's you, you need to start a house of prayer over there or over there. And hopefully, that one will start getting filled up with people. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> because this is... This is what the flesh wants is to feel like, like, like all of these people, you know, they, they wanted to be God's people, right, to an extent. They wanted to think of themselves as we are God's people, but we don't actually want to talk to him. Let's send the guy up to talk to him so that we can feel like we're part of the congregation, but not actually have to face the fear of the Lord, not actually have to face the burning And it's up to us to make a choice not to fall into that and seek the Lord until he gives us the grace not to fall into that. Um, so there's two parts in that core value. The priesthood of all believers and um, servant leadership. So real quick, and I'm not going to actually, I think I'm not going to touch on leading as a servant, but what it means to be led by a servant leader. Uh, Mark 10, 42. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister and whom are or servant, whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Which is to say, so there, there is, there's an entire message about how we, we need to, because every single person in here um, is leading how we need to lead with a servant's heart and reflect our Lord. But what I want to highlight is when we come in and someone else is in a position of authority, because we are um, a priest, there's a priesthood of believers is the vision. Everyone leading is the vision but there are established authorities at different times, 
over different areas of the church. So when we have an assigned prayer leader and an assigned worship leader at the prayer set, they are the established authorities in that room. And they are, ideally, there to serve first the Lord and then everybody else who comes to the prayer prayer set. Most of our prayer sets, most of the stuff that goes, that most of the praying and singing comes out of those two peoples, two people. I'm guilty of showing up to sets that are led by other people and maybe praying once the whole set. And, and, and please hear, this is vision. This is vision of where the Lord wants to take us. This is not like, no. Um, there is something better than each of us having a set across the week that we have a specific authority over, a leadership, named leadership position, and other people come and kind of pray a little bit. There's something better where we're all praying together across the week. And there's somebody who's established an authority because we need an authority. There just needs to be authority. Um, but the, the people who have been set for that moment, they're there to serve, which means we have to be served. We have to let them serve us. So when someone sings prophetic song up here, it's not so that we can hear it and go, that was a good prophetic song. You know, it's not so we can do the face in the mirror, move away. I don't even remember what I saw. Or actually... The perfect thing is Stephanie and I check our stove six times before we leave every time because we go, bup, 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 bup. okay, it's off. Did I really look? Um, and so then we go back in the house. It's, it's so dumb. Um, and then if one of us asks the other person, that immediately makes us doubt. And so then we have to do it again. Um, right? <laughs> That's not what we want to be doing. So when somebody's up here and they're singing a prophetic song, what that is is an invitation for you to sing that prophetic song. For you to lift up your voice and go, I agree with that. And I want to, I want to say we are so afraid of hypocrisy. Um, you know, like Jesus preached against it, the whitewashed tombs. The Pharisees were like such a big example of it. But let me tell you that no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And if you're like, you know what? I just realized a whole area of my life is not submitted to him at all. I can still say Jesus is Lord because the spirit inside me says Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to say it out because I know by the spirit it's true even though my flesh is not there. And that's, that's the process of sanctification. So if someone comes up here and is, you know, if someone doesn't come up here, if someone is singing a prophetic song and you're like, can't honestly say that about my walk or even what I feel. I can say it by the Spirit. I can hear it and know it's true because the Spirit inside me is saying it's true because the Word of God says it's true and I can sing it in faith. Our bodies are wonderful instruments that the Lord has given us. You know, and he talks about how our souls are, are turned by our tongues, by the little things we say. There are postures we can choose in faith by the Spirit that 
you know what? I don't feel like standing up. I don't feel like raising my hands. I don't feel like singing this song right now. You know what? They picked a bunch of fast, dancey songs today, and I am really not in the mood. I'm tired. Or, you know, oh, we're doing the slow contemplative song, and I could really use a little pep. You know, like none of that matters. The Spirit saying, yes. You know, the Lord is worthy of this matters. And we should be able to go, I'm going to enter into it. And if we can't, if we just really can't, we should be like, Lord, help me, because you deserve this. Luke 17. And I, I just, I'm sorry before all of you. I, this is not my nature. Um, I'm a, I, my flesh is really passive. <laughs> I check out easily. If people, other people are doing stuff, I'm like, oh, they got it, kind of person. Um, so I am very much speaking to where I want to go. Luke 17, 7. Which of you? Having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself up and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Um... It's, I mean, like he, Jesus spelled it out really clear. Like, I'm tired. I've been working all day. And he's like, you still got to come in and you got to serve your master's table. And, you know, do we see that coming in here? That we're coming into the king's throne room to wait on him to respond to the sound of his voice, to to do whatever he says, this is what's happening right now. Do we mourn it when we don't? Do we mourn the pride that says, you know, like, if I say that thing, it might be wrong, It looks a little silly to put my hands up in the air. And yet, these are things the Lord has commanded. And these are things that delight him, that feed him, for lack of a better word, that serve him. I've really been feeling this maybe the past month or so just... And I, I completely run out of words for it really fast. I want him to delight here. I want that to be the purpose of me coming in, is to make him delighted, for him to find pleasure in this place. Because I know I will. If he does, I will. But it takes a choice to be like, that's why I'm here. And like, like we always talk about, this is the easiest thing is going to be to go, 
Next week during worship, I'm not really a hands raiser, but I'm going to try it, you know, or whatever. Um, it's funny, I was even going to say, <laughs> when I was uh, praying about this and writing notes, like, we're not a church that's like, please stand up for the first song. And then after that, you can do whatever you'd like. But we'd like you to stand up for the first song. You know, sorry, that was a little mocky, but because there's a good reason that people do that in churches. To, it's an invitation to like, go check out. Join us. But thank you, Jen, for saying, come on, let's stand up. Let's re-engage. Yes, we go for an hour. And that is like crazy long compared to most churches. And I'm getting a little older. And I can feel it a little. Although, honestly, when I was 20-something and I first started doing hour, hour and a half long worship services, I was like, oh, man. But you know what? It's a muscle. It grows if you push into it. If you actually do go, I'm going to keep going, Lord, help me re-engage. I'm going to be intentional about this. At some point, an hour goes by and you're like, whoa. Like, I got more worship in me. So I was saying is the easiest thing to do is going to be to make up some, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray six times in the prayer set that I come to. All that kind of stuff. Let's not do that. Let's, let's hear the Lord going, hey, this is something amazing and beautiful that you could have and ask him to give it to us. Um, there's a proverb that's pretty funny um, that says something like the sluggard sticks his hand in the bowl, like a bowl full of food, and it just would wear him out too much just to even pick it up and eat it. Like, I'm feeling that too really strongly lately. There is so much available here that we haven't even partaken of. And part of it's because our faith has waned a little bit in how much is available just from the doing of it. It's a little tired. Um, Lord, I've, I've gotten so many hours in my life and I've got so many hours I spend in the prayer room and I don't want to see you and go, I could have engaged so much more of that. You know, looking back, but there's so much more there to lay hold of if we're intentional about going, I'm going to wring everything I can out of this moment with the Lord. So, uh, response servants want to come up. And then uh, I'll end with Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, Father, um, I do. I want to come in and serve 
in your throne room, at your table, Lord God. I want to serve my brothers and sisters. I do want you to delight in this place. Lord, would you change my heart? Lord, I, just, I repent of, of being that sluggard. Just a, a laziness when it comes to your presence. Lord, I want to... Would you, just, would you just talk to us, Holy Spirit? Would you come and minister wherever there are things that we're like, okay, I don't even get it. Why? Would you come and give us the faith to believe? Lord, I know you want um, you want the fullness of light hot more than I do. But I want to want it like you do. And I don't want to leave anything on the table that you've laid out for me. 